Welcome to the Global Marketing Show, the podcast for all things international business. I'm your host, Wendy Pease, president of Rapport International and a translation expert. Come along with me today as we talk to an expert in the global marketing world about facing their biggest fears, hearing about mistakes they made or saw, discussing best practices, and sharing fun travel language and culture stories. Hello and welcome to the Global Marketing Show podcast. It's brought to you by Rapport International, the high quality translation interpretation company with 100% satisfaction. And you know what else? is really high quality. And I was reading on their website that you only need seven pairs of them to have a lifetime of socks because their quality is so good. And those are darn tough socks. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. I uh, see them in the stores with a lot of hikers in them, but there's so much more. Today, we're welcoming Joe Nacido, who is the International Sales and Marketplace business development lead. Um, he's a fascinating guy. So Joe, welcome. Good morning, Wendy. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, yeah. I'm so excited because I mean, your story is fascinating. Um, and let's let's jump into Darn Tough. I, I went on the website and I immediately get a pop up that says, you know, enter to win a lifetime of socks. And you know, my sock drawer flashed in front of my eyes. <laughs> And so, and, and on it, it says all you need is seven socks because that'll get you one per day for the rest of your life. I thought, oh my gosh, how easy would that be? Tell, tell me about Darn Tough Socks. How did this company get started and, and how are you making socks that are such high quality? Yeah, I, you know, I, I, as long as you're doing your laundry every few weeks, uh, you'll have a sock for every day of the week. And, uh, you know, also our, our socks are largely merino wool, which is really good at not uh, getting stinky. So you don't have to wash them nearly as much. Um, so, yeah, so Darn Tough got started. Uh, about wait, 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 wait. I, I, oh, I'm laughing yeah. and I'm trying to keep quiet to not introduce you. But, okay, so you have seven socks, seven pairs of socks for two feet every day, assuming you have two feet. You only have to do laundry every couple of weeks because you can re-wear them because they don't get stinky. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's like the dream sock. Okay. It sure right. is. No, no. Marino wool is magical. Yeah. Sheep, I'm told sheep have been running around in that material for 10,000 years or more. So. Okay. The same sheep wearing the same wool, huh? <laughs> All right. So how did the company get started? Uh, so the company is owned by uh, Rick Cabot and his dad, Mark Cabot. And uh, Mark Cabot started a sock mill in Northville, Vermont in 1978. And they did private label socks for a lot of U.S. brands, uh, you know, brands that you would know, like uh, Gap, Republic, Old Navy, um, Brooks Brothers. And um, they had a you know, growing business. And then towards the late 1990s, early 2000s, all those companies realized that they can get their, their products cheaper overseas. And so the Cabot family kind of watched their business uh, shrink and, and dwindle. And so they, they kind of stood up to that and said, well, you know, if we have our own brand, we can control our own destiny. And, uh, and so they bet the farm on making, taking all the know-how of, of uh, you know, a couple decades of, of making socks and said, let's make the best quality socks that we can on the market and let's guarantee them for life. And so in 2004, uh, they, they did that. They essentially bet the farm on 3,500 pairs of running socks that they gave away at the Burlington Vermont marathon. And uh, the rest is history here. You know, now today, I think that I think in 2004 it was about 35 employees, and today we're uh, just over 400, and um, and now you know selling into over 25 countries worldwide. Oh my gosh, yeah, that's great story. fantastic! So you're selling into 25 countries. So so from 2004, when did you start your international journey? So I, I've only been here about five years. Um, and I'm about 
maybe five years before that, uh, we have a great story from our Japanese distribution team. They kind of walked into the mill one day and wanted to sell our socks in Japan. Uh, and so that was kind of the beginning of it, but there was no business strategy to it. We just accepted some orders and sent socks across uh, to the other side of the world. Um, How did they and, find you? Uh, so they dealt with some other U.S. brands, and I think they were introduced by some of our U.S. sales reps that were selling uh, similar footwear, maybe some similar clothing, and uh, were told to come check us out. Oh, how fascinating. So it was just a lucky introduction, and it they go sure up was. to way northern Vermont and say, this is cool. We need this in Japan. Yeah. Yeah. And so... Um, and so then, you know, there was uh, some export sales to Canada introduced a few years after that, which makes sense based on uh, our proximity. And, uh, and so those two teams we still work with today. And then, um, like I said, about five years ago, when I started, the, the plan was to start to really build our brand in the global setting. And, and uh, so that's when we started putting some strategy to it and uh, focus and that meant gearing up for trade shows and um, checking to make sure compliance issues. I mean, you, the list goes on and on of everything you need to do to check off to start selling internationally. Uh, so, so that's that was kind of how it started, and and today we're we're thriving. All right, so there. Let's unpack that. Okay, so they were just in Japan and then in Canada because of proximity. Right. And then they say, huh, there's a huge opportunity to go international. So we're going we're gonna to hire this guy that has some international experience to come in and put a strategy. A little bit. I actually was, <laughs> I was actually hired on the U.S. side. Uh -huh. um, but then my boss's boss kind of through some conversations learned that uh, I, I spoke a couple languages. I love to travel. Um, so that was, that was how that kind of I got um, asked if I wanted to start to work into that setting and help build the international sales. So you're working for the company and the bosses realize they've got this hidden talent in you that you could, you have this international, you know, background that you could help grow the company. Um, how did you go about doing that and developing a strategy? Cause I think there's a lot of companies that are in the U S that go, yeah, we'd like to do that, but that's a big, scary process. So what were the steps that you took at Darn Tough to, to do that? Sure. It's a great question, Wendy. How many hours do we have? <laughs> <laughs> Take it away. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, you know, at, at a high level, it, uh, there's a whole bunch of uh, due diligence to be done. I mean, granted, we focus our efforts on the outdoor industry. So uh, there's, there are a lot of successful brands that have done this before us, right? And so um, we, it, we do a lot of research into how they did it, um, start a lot of conversations. I got introduced to a lot of VPs of sales at a variety of other outdoor companies, talked to their counterparts in Europe. And, um, you know, I think it's a, a tight-knit network. And so I, I would recommend that to anybody. So what kind uh, of companies, like how did you, what, what companies were you talking to? So we were talking to like uh, Osprey Packs. They make uh, really great backpacks for the outdoor industry. And, um, and obviously being in selling socks, we talked to a lot of footwear brands uh, because that's also, it's a complimentary product. So we have a lot of friends in that industry that we don't compete with. Uh, you know, for sure. We even talk to footwear brands to get footwear for our photo shoots. So it's, it's leveraging your, your network of friends. Um, and, and you have to know your competition. You got to see what your competition is doing all, in all of these countries. So that's, that's a start at the high level. Uh, and you obviously have to decide on investment on, on your side, how much you're willing to invest. It's going to take time. It's going to take money. Uh, there are some risks. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I would also recommend reaching out to your local chambers of commerce, uh, the uh, 
Department of Commerce, which is a federal division that they have local representatives that can help you out, get you connected and talking to people. They could do a lot of legwork for you up front too, to help you out. And I will admit that's something that we don't take enough advantage of. Yeah, that's good to know. I was just talking to a representative from the Department of Commerce and they have put together a whole e-commerce support system. So their, their supports are fantastic. Absolutely. And it should yeah. be noted, there's a lot of grants to go after for that too. And again, I, I fully admit we, you know, it, it's a time and bandwidth thing and uh, you're so, you're, you're chasing leads and, and new business and you're growing, hopefully. And so then the, sometimes it's a lot of paperwork pushing to get some grants, but your state has grants for you too that mm -hmm. uh, can be made available and offset translation costs, uh, trade, show, um, trade show costs, get you introduced to people at those foreign trade shows. So these, those are all things that I highly recommend. Yes, and if anybody's interested, you can go to the Report International website, which is reporttranslations.com, and look for the little search engine on top and search grants, and it'll take you directly to the contacts at the states uh, to find out more about it. Or you can reach out to, to me, and uh, I can help you. So I'm so glad that you brought that up, because oftentimes the states don't even give the money out because they don't have enough applicants for it. Yeah, I've uh, recently learned that in Vermont, there's only a handful of businesses truly taking advantage of these services. And granted, Vermont is you know, the second least populous state in the country, but still, you know, there, there are businesses here. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and there's a very active uh, trade representative there too, or trade support. So mm -hmm. it's For worth sure. doing. Yeah. Yeah, and, and being, you know, like we said, the proximity to Canada, I know that there's a lot of um, Quebec to Vermont trade. And so there's, like you said, there's a lot of trade representatives to help with that. And, and in this case, you know, with, can't, with Quebec, you have to look at translations and um, things like that, too, to keep in mind. Yeah, so tell me more about translation. How did you... Uh, look, dis, well, okay, so you were in two countries. Before we get into that, you were in two countries. Five years ago, they put you more in that. You start your due diligence and you look at the outdoor industry and, and you know, complementary products and your friends that you have in the industry. So I think that's a good idea. The second thing you said was to look at your competition. So you don't have to name them here. But <laughs> <laughs> when you looked at your competition, what... Um, what were you looking for? Like, what were some of the questions you were trying to see and what did you find? Well, one of the major things, you know, one of our major competitors has been uh, exporting for 10 years more than we have, maybe even longer than that. So they have a pretty strong presence in most of the countries that we're now targeting and our largest competitor here in the U.S. as well. So, um, you know, it's, we're looking to see what they're doing, what they're doing right maybe what they're doing wrong, learn from some of their mistakes. And you're, you're, everybody's going to make some mistakes in this process. It's, there's no, uh, you know, there are guidebooks, I guess, but uh, it's not a one size fits all. So I think it, you're, you're looking to see where they have success because it's likely that if you have a similar product, then you can also succeed. Uh, and so we walk into key retailers in foreign countries. And we tell them we want to be their prominent U.S. Uh, brand of specialty socks. Um, and then I have, a, I have a high regard for the local brands in all the other countries too, because a lot of retailers, they want to keep their, there's other local competition and, you know, that's fine. That, that they make a good product, but uh, you know, we want to come in and be the, the premium U.S. product and tell our story. Okay, so made in the U.S. is a really big deal. It resonates for sure. Okay, right. So made in the U.S. is not just a thing that's in the U.S., but around the world looking sure. for that made in the U.S. premium brand. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's really interesting. So you looked for the markets they were having success in and figured you could have success. So that was a draw not picking someplace else that they might not have a presence and try to win that market. Sure. I mean, it, it's, it's a little bit of both, you know, I'm also, I have, 
I have a, a different opinion from my boss. Uh, you know, I'm, uh, and maybe I'll get in trouble for saying this. <laughs> uh, it's, it's recorded. It'll be official now, but, um, you know, I feel that every day that we're not in a market, that's an opportunity for a competitor to be there. Yes. And, uh, whereas, you know, I'm encouraged to, to take one step back and be a little more strategic in how we place ourselves into markets. Um, you know, I, I feel that we've gotten ourselves into most of the primary market, the, 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 yeah, the primary markets. Um, but there's, there's smaller markets that I'm not allowed to, to touch yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and again, I just feel that any day we're not there, it's, it's another competitor's product being sold there instead of our own. Yes, that's a that's an interesting one. Is let's go let's go wide or let's go deep. Yeah, right. that's yeah. a that's a continual con- question for companies. Yeah, narrow yeah. and deep is 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 you know it keeps a focus. Um, but and and the other piece to this too is you know you're chasing uh, well in our case we're chasing markets where there's a population that is worthwhile. Um, we're chasing larger outdoor markets too, you know, we're, um, we're not necessarily going after big urbanized regions. Uh, but the, you know, the, I think the, one of the big takeaways too is, you know, Europe has twice the population as the U S and, and that's, and that's really concentrated into two countries too. You have Germany, which is the size of California and, uh, and the UK, which is, about the size of Alabama, I think. And so, you know, those two countries are half of your consumer buying power in Europe. So it, those, those are also pivotal pieces to your growth, I think, is, is to really focus um, where it's going to matter the most. It's the lower hanging fruit. And that's where my boss would tell me, don't go after the country that has 500,000 people and, um, you know, and we'll sell 50 pairs of socks. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I, you know, so it's, it's a, it's a balance. So it's looking at the numbers. I had never realized that Europe had twice the population in much smaller, I guess I did, but I never put the numbers around it because if you look at the train system, they can move, sure. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. a smaller geography, more people. So they've got much better trains, but in the U S it's harder because you're crossing more distance to get to the people. But I never put the numbers around that. Yeah. I think um, Europe's about 750 million. Last time I kind of looked at those numbers and, and it's more, more densely populated too. And so, you know, for instance, and, and then when you take it country by country, and even more specifically recently with like in the UK with Brexit, um, and we had to kind of relook at how some of that business was happening there and um, tariff implications and things like that, to, which don't affect us directly, but affect our distributors. Yes. Um, but, you know, the UK is a great example of 50 million people or so, but in a very small geographic area. So like you know, postage takes couple days to get from north to south and you know that's that's a benefit for the retailer for the consumer it makes distribution much easier than say even here in the u.s going east coast to west coast right yes that is a benefit and the uh, yeah and then you're also talking about the uk and germany where you have a lot of people that are interested in outdoor activities and hiking and and that makes a difference right. too yeah absolutely Okay, so so we talked about due diligence, you know, on the strategy plan, look at the competition, look at the market you're going into. So you went from two markets to 25. Which were the first markets that you picked to enter after Japan and Canada? So um, we were looking at a lot of Europe, um, mainland Europe, for sure. And again, comes down to population density. And you've got some great outdoor markets, the Alps and uh, great skiing and, um, and just a lot of outdoors and hiking. So, and, and a lot of great shoe brands come out of Northern Italy for, for outdoor. So, you know, they, we feel that we can follow that trajectory of, of uh, product sales. Mm-hmm. And then Scandinavia was a, 
Scandinavia has a huge outdoor market. And I mean, their whole, I feel like their whole culture is focused around being outdoors. Uh, you know, I think Huga in, in, in general, <laughs> it, you know, it really means get outside with your flask of uh, bourbon or lack <laughs> of eat in that case, and in their case, and, uh, you know, and just be with one with nature. So it felt like we align really nicely with that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So go ahead and, and define what Huga is if nobody's heard of that before. Well, it's just comfort and, uh, and coziness. And uh, I guess I'll give a shameless plug here. It means a really cozy pair of socks <laughs> <laughs> and, and being, uh, being, like I said, one with nature. One with nature. I've heard it. Yeah. You're, you know, you're one with your book in front of the fireplace and right. your cozy socks on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, good friends around you. Have good company. Have some good food. Yeah. So, uh, personally, it aligns really well with my ethos. <laughs> yes, it sure does. It sure does. Yeah, I learned uh, in our pre-call that you're from New York and you moved up to Northern Vermont, New York City, right? Yeah, that's right. It's big, very drastic difference, but I've. I fell in love with the green mountains of Vermont and the hiking and I, I couldn't go back to New York city now. Wait a minute. And also the biking on your LinkedIn profile, it says you're a psychopath C Y C O and a bikeaholic. Yeah, you got me. <laughs> so yes, going from New York to Vermont, you get the higa. <laughs> yeah. I think after you run in, you bike into enough taxis in New York, you try to, find a little more solitude on the roads of Vermont. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. That is one of the uh, biking capitals of the U.S. Okay, so you went mainland Europe and then uh, Scandinavia. Yeah, uh, and then we expanded uh, through Asia, which Asia has huge appreciation for made in USA products uh, and the quality. And um, so the distribution teams that we work with there, they, you know, having a product that's guaranteed for life like ours is actually not new to them. They do that with some other uh, great apparel brands. So um, it just dovetails really nice. And we've got some amazing teams over there as well. So like Taiwan uh, and South Korea. Okay. And so does that put you up to 25 or was there another area? Well, so we do a little bit in, South America as well. Um, honestly, it hasn't been a huge focus for us yet. I, there's a lot to learn about that market. An interesting piece too is just um, taking in the culture of all these. And when I, when I say that, I mean, business expectations are different. Like, you know, here in the US, we want to uh, lawyer up and have contracts. And when you go and put a contract on a potential partner's table in Europe, they, they look at you cra like you're crazy. You know, they're happy to have a handshake and, uh, you know, your word is good. Um, but so it's kind of, we have to coach both ways that we do it for, uh, for a multitude of reasons. And I, I instead of calling it a contract, we'll call it an agreement. And, you know, I pitch that as, uh, as a, Kind of some business expectations and and i also position is that if i uh well if i get fired for saying something bad on a podcast um and somebody else comes in to take my spot that at least they there's some expectations between the two parties that they can carry going forward um but you know that's that that's just one example of of cultural differences and I, like I said, I, to the South America piece, I don't know a lot about the South American business style. Uh, I've sure learned a lot about the various European styles, which and they vary country to country mm -hmm. and the Asian business styles too. That's all. It's really interesting. That's definitely one of my favorite parts of the job, I think. So how do you figure that out? Because you've been successful in doing that and figuring out how to do business in all the countries that you're in already, you've had to do that. So now that you're, you know, what have you done that's been successful in figuring that out? Oh, and figuring that out, some of it's luck. Some of it's making a fool out of yourself and uh, <laughs> with a group of people. Uh, I, I always come back to this, this funny, uh, 
you know how you you know you might toast with a cheers and, and the, you know the the a lot of times the the dinners after a successful meeting are where you do more business than the conference room at I, I think of this one time in in Taiwan in particular I didn't know the rituals of the toast and um, you basically they want to see the foreigner um, basically drunk and under the table <laughs> And, you know, they almost, their, their company has like the designated drinker and, uh, and I'm going to, I'm going to butcher it, but you know, they, they fill your glass. And when somebody looks at you and says, come by, uh, you have to bottoms up and, and it, it means dry cup. So you have to drink the whole thing. And when you're not looking everybody there and it's, you know, I was out, I was outnumbered, um, like one to eight. And when you're not looking, they're filling your cup. And you, it's and it's a, almost disrespectful not to drink um, unless you really state that ahead of time. So, like I said, I embarrassed myself, um, and that was at lunch. So then, then we had to go, you know, go do more work <laughs> for the rest. So you of the got day. you got smashed at lunch. Uh, I will not confirm or deny. <laughs> 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 did you were you even able to go back and be productive at lunch at in the afternoon i was fortunately we'll call it years of training but um also like i just remember drinking so much water and we had to so just trying to just dilute everything inside <laughs> <laughs> and then we had to drive two hours south to uh to tai chung if i remember correctly and i just remember having to stop every 10 minutes and i and to to pee and it was, uh, but it, you know, it, it's like, it's, it's such a memorable experience and, yeah. you know, and the team, every time I see them, you know, I bonded with, with, uh, the whole team that day. And, and it, a lot of sales and business is trust and, and building yeah. these trusting relationships. Um, so it's, that's, like I said, <laughs> comes to the culture, learn the culture before you go. <laughs> Um, right. So now that you know that situation, is there anything that you could have done to avoid having the gumbay, bay, yeah. uh, and having to over drink to get them to, you know, trust you? <laughs> uh, maybe wait till dinner time to go for your, your meeting lunch, your, your meeting meal. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you can go home and sleep and it's not yeah. in the middle of the day, but there's yeah. nothing you could do when they're pouring the alcohol for you. I don't think so. Luckily it was, uh, it was beer, but I, I know that they would also do the same with some heavier stuff. So I think I, I got, got out, uh, got out easy that day. Oh, that is so funny. Well, it, and it's not unusual. There was an earlier podcast that we did um, with the same experience in Vietnam. Yeah, I think it was Vietnam. And then the other one that was really interesting is if uh, an er a, a earlier episode on the podcast was singing vanilla, singing dog vanilla. He's done his whole uh, business with on a handshake. And he's, sure. he's creating vanilla in Indonesia and then distributing all over the place. He's in Whole Foods. And he's like, no, I don't do contracts. That's great. Which yeah. is, yeah, so interesting. But it, it is, what I've found is, is it's an agreement. It helps you talk about things you might not have thought of when you're, you're drafting that up. But yeah. yeah. For sure. And like I said, it's, I, it just kind of, I think, sets a tone. But I think you do have to, you know, in the U.S., if somebody said, no, I'm not signing a contract, you'd be instantly be wary. Yeah. Uh, but it's a different situation in, in Europe and, and Asia. So it's, you just have to be prepared for that. Right, right. And how you and so even even a, a word like calling it an agreement rather than a contract. Right. Can make a huge difference. For sure. Okay, so so with the strategy, you talked about due diligence, looking at the competition, and then the investment. You said that it takes time and money, and I know that one thing that people don't allow enough uh, is of time to be successful. Can you talk more about that investment and what that, how you looked at it? Yeah, and what, absolutely. How it played out? Sure. Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing I think to keep in mind is 
you're building long-term relationships with this and it's, there's not a short-term payoff. I mean, sure. Some people will have a short-term payoff and instant success, but it does take a lot of work. You have to roll up your sleeves. There's going to be uh, long days, you know, you, you want to meet the customer where they're at. So I, you know, I come in for 4am zoom calls with Asia all the time. Uh, or I'm staying till 11 o'clock at night for, for Zoom calls because I, I want it to be convenient for our customer. Um, and it, I'm not saying to, in nowadays, I mean, I, I haven't traveled now in almost two years. Uh, and coming into the office for 4 a.m. Zoom call is way easier than flying 18 hours to Taiwan. Right. <laughs> I mean, I miss, I have, don't get me wrong, I miss seeing the team and can't wait to see all of our teams again. Um, but you know, we've done a lot with, um, with being uh, on virtual, virtual calls. Um, but yeah, to, I, I guess to just expand on that, you know, long-term relationships, um, you want to set it, appropriate expectations for both sides. If, you know, if I'm taking my, my business plan, I, I need to run it up the ladder here at our company and, and set expectations that it's going to take a long time because it might take longer as, and as bringing a new brand into a new market where they've never heard of you. Uh, they may not even be able to pronounce your company name properly. You know, that's a tough one. Uh, and so it, it does take a lot of time as opposed to in the U S you know, we could probably walk into any retailer. They, if they don't sell us, they probably know who we are. It doesn't take a lot of, as it doesn't take as much convincing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so when you say it's going to take a long time, are you talking months, years? Like, how's that? What have, what's, what have you seen? I've planned for years. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's, in our case, it's, um, it, it could take a couple years just to get, you know, we have uh, oh, about 250 different styles that we sell. And it could take a year and a half, two years, just to understand what that market wants from, from our, our lineup. And you know, we could provide them uh, our best sellers list. Uh, but it, it, you know, the, like the socks that we sell in Norway compared to the socks we sell in to their neighbor in Sweden are very different. Norway goes after a way more colorful and uh, Sweden goes after a little bit more muted and I didn't know that going into it. So I, you know, we could have steered our distributors the wrong way and had them load up on a bunch of stuff they couldn't sell. So that's where it's, you have to really plan on a slow roll and, and keep the focus and, um, and just be available to answer questions at all hours. That is fascinating to me. I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't have guessed that it would be that difference between Norway and Sweden, I would have expected high quality. And then if you told me pick which one would want more colors, I would have guessed Sweden. So that is so interesting. <laughs> How did you even figure that out through the distributors? Yeah, through distributors or, you know, meeting, taking the time, we'd go meet with key accounts, which is definitely one of my, you know, that's what, that's what I, I really enjoy doing is meeting the, the buyers and, and helping the distributors to sell. And, uh, and so you have to trust that the buyers know what their consumers want, what their, you know, the people walking into their stores will want. And it's so interesting to, you know, I, I could one day be showing one part of our catalog and then the next day be in a different country and we're, and we're focusing on a different part of the catalog. And it's just a, it, unexpected to me for sure. Right. And with 250, it's not like you're going through and showing them everyone and see, you've got to narrow it down and understand that enough to, to point them to something that they go, oh, yeah, I'm really interested. Yeah, so sure. that's why it takes time is just you've just got to meet with the people. Right. Yeah. And how has that changed doing it virtually? Can you show them or do they need to touch and feel? Touch and feel is nice. And, you know, we can uh, luckily we, we're not selling like big heavy engine blocks or anything we you know we can send over uh boxes with some socks for them to touch and feel so that makes it a lot easier but uh we've set up a pretty nice zoom room here uh that we call it to put uh our product on a you know it's well lit has a a light box and a 3d spinner and and the feedback we've gotten is that that 
it was way better and sell it in than a lot of our competition holding a sock up in front of their laptop camera for uh, trying to show the newest designs. So I, that's another piece, you know, I definitely recommend spending the time to get either good photos of your product, high res, so you can have it um, and take the time to build out presentation decks or, um, you know, set up some cameras and some lighting. I mean, I, we did it on a shoestring budget, but it works really well. That is great advice is you've got to put yourself forward in the best light. And so you were able to, to figure out something or how are we going to make them show really well? And it looks really high, high class. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So you mentioned, um, okay. So time, so investment, we went through time now budgeting. And of course, this is going to be different for every company, depending on, you know, what kind of products they have and how it's sending, but how, how did you go about thinking about investment selling to new places in US, you know, the Norwegian market versus the uh, Taiwanese market? Like, how would you even think about budgeting for that? Yeah. Uh, one thing that, again, like I said, it's, it's socks. So it's easy that we can get socks on people's feet. And that's uh, not a tremendous cost mm-hmm. in the grand scheme of things. It certainly is you know, less expensive than, than, uh, airfares and hotels and all that. Um, so that's, that's, that's the number one piece is just get product on people's feet. Um, mm-hmm. because we're, we've found that people get pre, are pretty loyal to our brand and, and you know, we obviously feel that we make a, a, a superior product. So we feel that it sells itself mm-hmm. in that regard. And, and our U S teams have had success doing the same before we started doing this internationally. So it's, uh, that's helped us for sure. Um, you have to have some faith in your product as well and confidence. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that's for anybody in sales and marketing, you got to have faith and confidence in your product or you better get another job. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And so is it, is the budgeting, like the financial side and the investment of the cost, is it similar to launching like from Vermont to California or are there additional costs for going international? It's, there are definitely additional costs. Um, like I said, uh, they, the one piece was the, the legal side of things, even though people don't necessarily want agreements, you know, we're, we're going to have agreements in place. So I know getting started, we spent a ton with, attorneys getting, making sure that we were, uh, protected, uh, and speaking of protection, you want to think about trademark protections, uh, in foreign countries to, to trademark your, or to protect your intellectual property. If you have it, um, the Madrid protocol is, uh, is definitely, if you haven't heard of that, uh, or if your listeners haven't heard of that, look into that. Yeah, I don't know what that is. What is that? That protects you, and I'm. Um, it's the. It's uh, basically gets your trademark registered in. I'm going to say over a hundred countries. Uh, so it takes care of most of where you want to at least get yourself covered. Your trademarks covered initially. Oh, that's great to know. Yeah. Okay, I'll have to do more research on that too because I didn't know about it. It's a good one. Yeah. Uh, regulatory compliance, you know, it depends on what you're selling. You have to make sure, I mean, we, we have very little, uh, with any, we have very few issues there. Um, we don't, you know, it comes down to some, maybe some packaging compliance depends on, on what you're looking at country to country. So there's upfront costs in that to make sure that you're compliant, your packaging meets the consumer needs, trademarks are covered. So those, those costs can add up. And I would say, you know, we did that very gradually as we were kind of warming up the, uh, the system for this. Uh, and then, you know, I plan on some consultants um, where, you know, I still feel we're in our infancy too with this, even five years in. Um, I'm just really starting to get a grasp of all the foreign tariffs because we're looking, our next step is, uh, is e-commerce expansion 
So the, you know, direct to consumer business in a multitude of countries. And so suddenly we would have the tax liability in all these countries. So you've got VAT, uh, GST, HST up in Canada, uh, you know, TVM, MVA, <laughs> IVA, WTF, <laughs> you know, there's all, all these crazy uh, tariffs that we'd have to register for and, and pay, pay soon. So yes, I'm far I will- from an expert introduce you to my contact at the Department of Commerce who is the e-commerce expert and they have all sorts of resources and help on that so after the show I'll make sure and introduce you and if anybody listening is is in the U.S. and wants help on that I can you know reach out to me um, and I'll introduce you to them because I just learned about the program and it's fantastic and they work with all the different states on that that'd be so. fantastic thanks Okay, so you mentioned earlier branding and, um, and translation, and I want to get into that because that will particularly affect you with, you know, if you're going direct to consumer, but I'm sure you've run into it already. Branding, how have you handled the um, darn tough name around the world? <laughs> so it's, I guess first off, I just have to, you know, it's a play on words for us. There's a darning, which is a, an old fashioned repair of, of uh, knit garments, use socks in particular. And then, um, and just, it's also a testament to the darn tough times that the Cabot family was going through at the beginning. So it, it's, it's all in there, but yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't translate to a bunch of countries. Uh, we kind of, we joke, um, you know, with our UK team that we could translate it as quite durable. Uh, <laughs> but we're, we're sticking with, I mean, darn tough Vermont. Uh, we keep Vermont is, is definitely part of our, our branding too. So, um, so we keep with that, but I've heard all sorts of iterations in, in Germany. Um, I, I probably shouldn't say them all, but there's, they're all out that we've heard a lot of variations and people don't know necessarily what it means. So that's, something to be cognizant of if you're starting a new brand, um, you know, look it up, look up your, the, the names, the words you might use. Uh, there's a lot of idioms in English that don't translate. There's, um, you know, I always run our product names, our, our newest product names past our distributors every season. Uh, I like to give the example of, you know, the word mist might invoke like a, a whimsical uh, lifestyle sock design, um, but in German it means manure. So, <laughs> so we can't, you know, we can't have a shitty sock. It, it <laughs> 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 so that's just something to keep in mind. As and I'm sure you know, you're no stranger to that in the translation world. So, these are all the little things you have to keep in mind when you're working to expand globally. Yeah, I had heard that about Miss before, but I, I've never heard it direct with the product. So shitty sock is hysterical. But yeah, that is something. Now, do you translate or do you keep it in English? Like darn tough stays darn tough across all the countries. It stays in English and uh, because that's the brand name. So we can, we can get away with that. Um, but certain countries like Canada, if we have any... Um, online exposure there it has to be equal prominence french and english Mm -hmm. um, to comply in in quebec so it's uh just something so like our product packaging has french and spanish on it um and then i would tell you like i get pressure from our german team they'd like to see german on there um you know and it's it's an interesting thing too it, like in Germany, everything gets translated. A lot of Germans don't necessarily speak a lot of English. They usually speak more English than I speak German. So I'm always appreciative of that. Right. But, um, but then you go to say, go North into Scandinavian countries. They're much smaller countries and everybody speaks English because <laughs> so I've, I've been told a lot of it is that, you know, a country like Norway has 5 million people. Sweden has 10 million. Um, it's not enough to dub movies into their native language. Mm. Uh, so I was at a I was at a bar in Stockholm once, and the waiter sounded American. So I was like, "Oh, are you from the U.S.?" 
And he just looks at me. He's like, no, man, I love U.S. movies. And <laughs> I was like, that's fantastic, you know. But then you go to Germany and there's 80 million people and, and all the movies are dubbed into German. So like I go to, I'm in a German hotel and I'm watching The Terminator in, in German. German. <laughs> so, you know, it's, so that's where, like I said, that's where I think we get pressure from the German side to get German on the packaging. And I think we've got a long way to go in, in volume before we can really justify that. So it, it's, um, but it, so that puts it on our map, you know, it puts it in our, our future planning of how do we fit a multitude of languages on a very small package. That's fascinating to me. So you're selling it all, all the packaging and it is in English. Right. Right. But English waiting. is, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. And you're waiting to, so it's the chicken or the egg. You're waiting to get enough of a volume to translate yet the return on investment by doing a little translation may increase your sales quite a bit. It uh, exactly chicken or the egg. It's um, it, yeah, so you know we we can uh, dabble with doing some relabeling for Germany, which we do, but it's that adds time and cost to our efforts. Yeah, so it's not it's not ideal. So, like I said, it's it's on our roadmap, and um, and so as we become more mature in foreign markets, uh, you know, our export sales right now are are it depending on the season, like twelve to sixteen percent of our our B two B business. And so I think we just really need to get to a, a little bit higher place before we can justify some, some additional costs. Okay. And what do you, like, what's your vision of what percent your international sales will be? Well, that's a tough question. You know, it's, it's, uh, I'm always astonished when I hear of a company that's 50 or 60% export. Um, that's it. I don't have an answer for that. What I, what I always say, though, is, is, you know, it's really good to have a diversified portfolio. You know, you learn that in, in business and investing, and it's, it's no different in this case um, to, you know, some, when there's a one market maybe slumping, hopefully you have an export market that might be thriving, and that kind of keeps your, your overall numbers steady or growing as opposed to if you're exclusively a U.S. business, if there's a slump in the U.S. market, or a, a recession, you know, you're going to feel that more heavily. So I, that's, that's my advice. That is fantastic advice. That, that is, I, I mean, so well said. And that's the number one reason why I say people should export because of that. Absolutely. Yeah. And so now on your website, you don't have any translation. No. So like I said, we're in our infancy. Um, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're, so we're not selling outside of the U.S. on our website yet. Mm -hmm. But that's part of the e-commerce plan that you're working on. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then what about the packaging in like the Asian countries? So I know it's a fantastic question. Uh, I know that our Japanese distributor um, puts basically a sticker over the entire back of our packaging. So they cover all of our copy and artwork and they basically replicate the artwork and uh, they have, it's all Japanese. And, and I found in traveling in Japan, many people do not speak English. So in, in fact, right. when I go there, um, our distributor has a, somebody that can travel around with me and translate. Mm-hmm. Or interpret because interpret is spoken and Good. translation is written. People outside yes. the industry don't know that much, but yes. Yeah, so that really helps when you're, you're building relationships there. For sure. Yeah. And so when you're in Taiwan, it's all in English too. Uh, Taiwan's a little more split, but, uh, definitely need interpretation as well. Oh no, I meant on your packaging. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, we keep that in English surprisingly. And, and now that you've put me on the spot, I, I don't have a definitive answer as to why, why we do that. You're going to have me up all night trying to <laughs> figure this one out. <laughs> This is about the point where I'm pulling my hair out going, oh my gosh, you can increase those revenues by doing translation and some slight packaging changes. You can increase your revenues by so much, but uh, yeah, it's, you also have to make a plan and then do the investment, but the opportunity is there. Let's just add a little more work to the plate. (laughs) 
Uh, I've got lots of ways to simplify that for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so fascinating. So let's talk a little bit about you. I mean, this is so fascinating. You, you grew up in New York. Tell me about that and how you got to be such an outdoors person and working in the, the best sock factory there is. Oh boy. It's a, uh... How I became an outdoor person, I, I don't know because I don't even know that's in my DNA. I, I remember, you know, a New York City apartment saying I wanted to go camping, and my dad always thought it was crazy. He's like, "Why would you want to do that? You've got a place right here." Like, you know, go for a walk in Central Park, and and so, yeah, I don't, I don't know where it came from, but I I do remember um, when I felt I needed to leave New York, um, and it was I was after visiting Vermont several times, and uh, it, but I, I remember trying to get off the subway one day, and everybody was crowding on, and I, I I just I couldn't get off, and I remember that's it, like I I need to get out of this place, I need less people around me. <laughs> and how old were you at this point? Oh, uh, I was maybe about twenty five or so. Okay, so through was, college, back in New York, and just going, I'm done. Yeah, and it, and um, so in, in honest, all honesty, my I, my undergrad degree was in Italian language and culture. So I I um, studied Italian. I know all about Dante Alighieri and all that literature, um, and and business was a a minor. And uh, I went back later and took uh, masters in business classes. Um, but I was basically right out of school, just working wherever I could. Um, but with no clear direction, mm -hmm. I, I don't, I, you know, I, I don't know that I've still, I haven't grown up yet. It's been about 15 years in Vermont and I still don't have a clear direction, but I really do love what I'm doing right now. And <laughs> I plan to be here for a while. Yeah. No clear direction as you've had multiple promotions at darn tough and you're, <laughs> you're doing your international business that is steadily growing. So <laughs> I, I hate to tell I, you, I think you've grown up. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm very grateful and, uh, and fortunate. I definitely acknowledge that. Yeah. So, so you told us one great, memorable uh, cross-cultural experience. Um, do you have others to share? Another one? Oh, let's see. It's, uh, well, I, we, might, we might see a trend here. Uh, it's similar in, in um, Scandinavian countries, you know, the, the cheers, you don't go clanking glasses all, all together. It's a very kind of silent, um, pick up your glass. You're supposed to be only holding it with a, a certain amount of fingers. And um, you just kind of look at people across the table and nod. And after you've done that, you take uh, a small sip and, um, and then you kind of do a nod around the table all over again. Whereas, you know, <laughs> just go in there and I'm ready to clank glasses like it's Oktoberfest or something like that. So. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Right. And the eye contact's really important, right? When it you're is. looking at everybody. Yeah, yeah for sure. For yeah. sure. Uh, you know, and then just uh, trying to kind of fumble my way through, through Germany. I'm sure I've gotten cursed at, uh, I just don't know it. Um, you know, you, I learn a lot as, as I go. <laughs> right, right, right. And I think one of the, the thing that's come up over all the episodes is that you just, you stay curious and you know that you're going to make mistakes, like you said at the beginning, and, but it's developing that trust. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, as, as part of like setting, I had mentioned like setting expectations internally, externally, one of those expectations probably the first one should be that, that you should expect change <laughs> uh, because the best laid plans don't always pan out the way you have, have intended. Right. So there does take some flexibility. Absolutely. Well, it takes a lot of flexibility a in lot. dealing across language, culture and international business. Yeah. yeah and so, yeah, but if sure. you just expect change, then that, that takes you far away. Yeah. So yeah. I, I do put that at the top of my list that this may change. Just my dream. <laughs> How about your favorite vacation? Ooh, that's a tough one. I, I really, uh, I love Scotland. I think it's a beautiful part of the world. Uh, I love Norway. 
I obviously, I, I love Italy. You know, I'm Italian. I, I carry actually a dual passport. So, but I, I have not had success in selling socks to Italy. And no. I will tell you, this is like my, if I'm here till retirement, uh, <laughs> I have to sell socks into Italy. But uh, Italians so are. So, who, uh, who would be a good introduction for you, or what would help you sell socks into Italy? Let's put it out there because we're listened to in over 40 countries. So, there could yeah. be somebody from Italy listening. Hear me out. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, you need a darn tough sock. <laughs> <laughs> It's, uh, it's, you know, so our knitting machines are all beautiful Italian knitting machines. And so that really translates to Italians make beautiful socks as well. Uh, and Italians are very loyal to products from their own country. And I think that's where my hangup is right now. <laughs> so are you looking for a distributor? Are you looking for uh, consumer buyers or... Yes, to both. I mean, obviously, for a distributor to be successful, we would need consumer buyers on the other side. So uh, it's it's a tough one. And I, I mentioned at the beginning, you know, there's a lot of great outdoor shoe brands that uh, come out of northern Italy. Uh, we've talked to all of them, trying to establish a partnership or some sort of shared sales team, uh, and it just it doesn't doesn't work. It doesn't work. Okay. Well, it will work. It hasn't it, worked yet. Yes, Wendy. <laughs> Correct. All right. Well, I'm connected to some business over, owners over in Italy, so I'll try to put a word out for you. Perfetto. <laughs> Perfetto. Great. <laughs> and what, um, oh, your favorite foreign word. I've got to ask that. Oh, uh, you know, I got to say, I'm, I'm a little rusty from not traveling and uh, not being out there. And, and it, you know, it's on one hand, unfortunately, like all our business is done in English. And, and like, you know, if we have a, a sales meeting with our teams from Sweden and Norway and Germany and, mm-hmm. and you know, and Netherlands and Austria, everybody's going to speak English because they all don't know each other's languages. So that... I'd have to get back to you on that. No, uh, like no, said, no, no, I, no. I, You know I, Italian. <laughs> What's your favorite Italian word or your favorite? <laughs> uh, well, okay. Italian is, there's a, a word, the word marvelous is meraviglioso. And it just sounds, I don't know. I, I love the way it flows. Um, and actually, I guess, I guess it's starting to bring back all these. The, there's a kid's book, The Hungry Caterpillar. And yeah. I remember, and I got that for my daughter in Italian and, you know, the, Piccolo Bruco Maisatio, the, the, the hungry caterpillar, uh, you know, turns into a you know, meraviglioso farfalla and the beautiful butterfly. And it, those are just, I love the Italian language. It's very sing-song. And unfortunately, I have probably have a bit of a, an American accent on it, but uh, it is Italian, Spanish, they're, they're beautiful languages. Oh my gosh. Well, that is a fantastic word. And I knew once we get it triggered and then it's got this wonderful memory with your daughter with the hungry caterpillar. So, ah, yes, I knew you had a good one in you. (laughs) And how about any um, final advice for anybody who's taking a product international? Have fun. You know, it's uh, this, if you're not having fun, then uh, you're not doing it right. And it is going to take hard work. You're going to be up at all sorts of hours if you really want to meet your customer where they're at. Um, but it, it is about having a lot of fun. It, it is a very rewarding process when it works out. And, uh, and hopefully, if you're lucky, you get to go and travel and visit some amazing cultures in the process, which is, like I said, that's my favorite part of all of this is just getting to know people and their families and traditions uh, because that's what makes the world go round, right? That's, that's the beautiful part of the world, the differences that we have. Oh my gosh. You really said that so well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So where can people, yeah, and we'll end on this. Where can people find darn tough socks if they're interested in getting some now? So uh, we're in over about 2,500 retailers in the U.S. 
So there is a store finder and, you know, we definitely love all of our, uh, our B2B uh, support out there. That's, that's where this business got its legs was with the support of retailers, local retailers. So, um, you know, going to your local outdoor store uh, and hopefully you'll find darn tough on the wall. Uh, if you go to darntough.com, like I said, there's a, there is a store finder link so you can find local locally who has it. And so that's definitely where, and, and that actually we have, um, I think all, but a couple of our, uh, international retailers are on that store finder as well. So if you're listening to this, you know, in, in, uh, Norway or the UK or Japan, uh, you'll, you'll find a local retailer on our store finder there too. Oh, fantastic. All right. And Joe, where can people find you? Uh, I guess LinkedIn is a great spot for that. It's uh, just Joe Nocito, international sock guy at uh, Darn Tough Vermont. Okay. And Nocito is N-O-C-I-T-O. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here today. This was, you know, we really did a deep dive on a lot of questions because you brought a lot of stuff up. And so listeners, I hope you learned something from it. If you know somebody that has a consumer product, um, this is probably a good episode to share with them. So go ahead and do that. And remember to give us a five-star rating uh, if you enjoyed it. So thanks so much. And we'll be back with you uh, next time. That's a wrap for this session. A big thanks to you for listening to the Global Marketing Show. Hope you had just as much fun as I did. New sessions launch weekly on all places you find podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and of course on our website. If you know someone interested in this topic, please tell them about us. Au revoir for now.